0: Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful that from the very moment of your public baptism, the kingdom of God has been advancing from one testimony to another to another. And Lord, we thank you for those in our own lives that have told us the good news. Lord, I ask that you'd help me now as I preach and we explore this passage from John's Gospel. Would you break our hearts for those that don't yet know you? I pray this in the holy name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So our sermon series for Epiphany, is Christ for the World, is the subtitle, and it's just picking up the Magi. The good news is for all people, not just the Jews. And so this is a, nat- a natural time for us to focus on missions, outreach, um, and particularly the word for uh, us this year is being a people who are sent. The Lord is sending us. We are people who are sent. In fact, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So, this morning, I want to begin by giving you the big idea that I think this text is teaching us. If you want to write it down on the back of your uh, sermon notes area, on the back of your bulletin, I'm I'm going to keep reminding you we now have that resource available. Uh, It's this. It's that Jesus's mission to people, his mission to people, advances through people. Jesus's mission to people advances through people. And so, right away, Um, I want to ask two questions. If that's true, which I'm going to show that it is from John's gospel, then through whom is the kingdom coming to me right now? Which people in my life is God using to encourage me, to challenge me, to speak good news? And then the second question is, which people in my life right now are strategically placed and God wants me to be a witness to them, to encourage them, to share the gospel with them? In other words, who is your sphere of influence? Who are the people that God has put in your path right now in this season of life? Now, this text hits on two of our core values as a church. One, obviously, I mentioned already, we're people who are sent for the sake of others. It definitely picks up that, that core value, but it also picks up the core value of a personal walk with the Lord, that we are not just promoting a, a religion We're promoting a relationship with the living God, that you can know the Lord, you can walk with him, you can experience him. In fact, we do. We experience him, and therefore, we then share with others what we have found to be true. So, it's hitting on both of those those two things. Now, the text is John chapter 1, uh, verse 29 and following, and this is right at the very beginning, and, and, and the ESV translation has an incorrect subject heading over the paragraph, It says in the ESV heading, Jesus calls the first disciples, right over the paragraph starting in verse 35. And I crossed it out in my Bible, and I wrote, not accurate. (laughs) Because in the next paragraph that we didn't read, it says, Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael, which actually is accurate. But in our passage today, he doesn't call them. John the Baptist says, look, there's the Lamb of God, and Andrew... And one other disciple who's not named, who probably is the Apostle John that wrote this gospel, but we'll talk about that in a moment. They start walking literally behind Jesus, and he stops, and he says, what are you seeking? And they say, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they spend the rest of the day with him. And then Andrew goes and gets Simon, his brother, and brings him, and then Jesus says, you're Peter. He renames him. Jesus doesn't call these guys in this passage. They're actually showing great initiative. In fact, John, who wrote this, is trying to point out the initiative that they, were, that they had in seeking. They were pursuing the Lord, and I think that's an encouragement for us to consider this as well. They, quote, find the Messiah. Now, we know the Messiah is already working in people's lives to stir them up to go and seek him, but what does, he say, what does Andrew say when he goes to see his brother Simon? We have found the Messiah, the Christ. So there's great initiative here, and it's encouraging us to take initiative as well in the matters of faith. Now, how does someone come to believe in the Lord? That's kind of the general area I want to look at here today. How does it work? I mean, practically, what happens? What happens that somebody then becomes a believer, whereas before they weren't? Testimony is a big part of this. John the Baptist, in both paragraphs, says, look, That is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's giving testimony. He's saying, I was told by the Lord that the one on whom I saw the Spirit descend and remain, that is the one. And I give witness that when he came up out of the water, that happened. This is the one. Behold the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist gives this testimony. And the Apostle John, it's confusing because we have two Johns here, John the Baptist and then the Apostle John who wrote the gospel called the gospel according to John, The writer is telling us that he is an eyewitness account as well. So at the very last chapter of John's gospel, John 21, 24, it says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. He's writing and speaking from a community of faith, and he's saying, I saw this with my own eyes. This is not a third-hand account luke's gospel is a secondhand account he went and researched and asked firsthand eyewitnesses what they saw and then he pulled it all together and wrote it down john's not like that john was one of the inner ring of jesus people and he was there he actually saw what happened and what we're getting here is we're getting a background story on how the disciples do end up getting called by jesus but it's before the matthew and mark gospel accounts you know in matthew and mark's gospel Jesus is walking by the sea, and he sees some fishermen cleaning their nets, and he says, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They drop their nets, and it says, and they immediately followed him. Who does that? No one. No one does that. They have to have some reason to follow him. It's not some stranger walking by the sea, says, follow me, and they give up their their job, and they stop doing their job in the moment. There was more that had happened before that moment. In fact, in both Matthew and Mark, it says, After John the Baptist was put in prison, remember Herod arrested him because he didn't like what he was saying about his adultery. After he was put in prison, then Jesus went and called the disciples. But this is John the Baptist here on the very first days. In fact, John the writer says, on the next day, on the next day, on the next day. If you look in a Bible, he's numbering the sequence of what happened from the moment that Jesus was baptized. John says, here's the Lamb of God. Then it says, on the next day, he again saw Jesus walking and said, the Lamb of God. And it says, on the next day. And then at one point, it says, on the third day, there's a wedding. I think that's the third day after they start following Jesus, but it gets confusing. But the point is, this is immediately connecting John the Baptist and Jesus. It's a handoff of sorts happening. And how is it that people come to believe? Well, again, my idea, my big idea here is that God's mission to people comes through people. It's advanced through people. So John the Baptist is the first domino, if you will, in what happens here. So he says, behold the Lamb of God. Now, it's interesting how patient one has to be with giving witness to Jesus. It's not always immediate that people respond. He said the day before, this is the Lamb of God. I'm telling you guys, this is the one who's greater than I, the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I must decrease, he must increase. But his disciples don't immediately go, okay then, we're done with you, we're going to go there. The next day he says it again and then then they go now i want to point something out here about about this first of all by saying behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world that is a rich and thick theological statement it's picking up themes from the exodus that we studied last year of the whole passover lamb over the doorpost and death would the angel of death would pass by because a sacrificial lamb happened It's not getting into sins yet, but here's the Lamb of God now who takes away the sins of the world. A lot of teaching has to happen to explain that, and yet these disciples start giving witness right away before they have all the answers. So I wonder if you've ever held back from sharing your faith with somebody because you knew they were going to ask hard questions and you didn't have the answers to it. Take heart. The disciples didn't have all the answers either, and they still were willing to give testimony. Notice something else, too. When John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, his own disciples, he was a rabbi, a teacher, his own disciples leave him and they go and join Jesus. In other words, it cost him something. He wasn't afraid to to pay that price in order to advance the kingdom. So again, back to your life. Think about the relationships you have right now of people that are maybe not yet Christians. What would happen if you brought up the spiritual Topic, what would happen if you gave your testimony to them about why you're a Christian? There is a very real risk that your workplace environment would get awkward, or that your relationship with your neighbor would become strained, or they would feel like you're pressuring them, or you're trying to sell something, or whatever it might be. That's a real cost of this. There is a cost to giving witness. But the potential that they would come to faith and forever be grateful that God used you to share the gospel with them Is a huge reward, way bigger and worth risking the smaller cost to go for that big reward. I mean, think about the people that led you to faith. If you're a Christian, there were individuals that God has used to bring you the gospel. Are you not eternally grateful for those people? I am. I still, to this day, it's been many years, decades, I still thank the Lord for a couple of specific people that He used in my life. I want to say, go for it, give witness, don't be afraid. Now, Andrew and the other one start walking behind Jesus. And then Jesus asks a question. And I wish we had the intonation here. I wish there were emojis in Greek. <laughs> what, are you, what are you seeking? Or what are you seeking? Or there are different ways that he could have said it, and we don't know. We just have the black and white words. So we don't quite know what his tone was. Maybe he was irritated. He felt like there's somebody, there's some, what, are you, what are you seeking? Like it caught him off guard or something. We don't know. But John included that question not for their sake. He did it for your sake and mine. John's gospel is a crafted, it's not, it's not make-believe. It is a crafted artistic narrative telling us what happened. And he has seven major signs that Jesus performs to, to, to show and reveal his, his divinity, and they culminate with him raising Lazarus from the dead. And then I might suggest there's an eighth sign, which is the resurrection itself. And then he comes to chapter 20, and he says these, meaning these signs are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. So keep in mind, the author of this, John the Apostle, is trying to get his readers to come to faith in Jesus and experience the new kind of life that Jesus offers. And so, when he has this dialogue, which I do think happened like this, he's doing it so you will ask the same question or of yourself that Jesus asked of them What are you seeking? You should really reflect on that question. What are you seeking in this life? What are you going after? What is of interest to you? What do you think about? What are you pursuing? What do you want? What do you want? I was in a prayer service one time in a a charismatic church in England where we were doing a sabbatical thing. And it was it was really a powerful moment. And the pastor got up and he made this big prophetic statement. He said, I feel like the Lord is saying, Heaven is open, ask for whatever you want. And I was utterly blank. I, I didn't know what to ask for. I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what I wanted. I was, I was, I was thrown off guard by the whole thing. But what if Jesus actually said to you, What are you seeking? I'm telling you he does. That's why it's in here. He's saying that. What are you seeking? What do you want from me, Jesus? What would you ask of me? What is it? Now, their answer is interesting. I've read this in a kind of negative way before, and I thought, oh, guys, you missed your opportunity here. You could have said, Jesus, explain to us what John means by calling you the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's me thinking like a a seminarian. I want a a theological treatise to follow. Actually, what they do is better. They very subtly hint at an invitation. It's like somebody saying, hey, what are you having for dinner tonight? Right? (laughs) Can I come over? Jesus, where are you staying? I don't think they actually cared like which house he's going to put his head down on a pillow. I think they were saying, can we follow you? Would you be rabbi? They call him rabbi, which is a a title of respect, teacher, and rabbis took students on that they committed to each other, and it was a specific formal relationship. Rabbi, where are you staying? In other words, could we be your students? Would you be our teacher? Would you take us and show us the things of what John the Baptist, our current teacher, has talked about? And Jesus's response is, again, it's written down for us. It still applies. He says, come and see. Come and see. Come follow me, come and see what it means. Our question is, Lord, would you have me as a student? Would you teach me? Would you show me how the kingdom works? Now the apostle John's goal is stirring up that desire within us to want to follow Jesus and want to experience life as his disciple. In fact, one scholar I read said that there are 161 questions in John's gospel, many of which are on the lips of Jesus. Some are on the lips of other people, but even so, if you read John's gospel, you're reading questions, and I think they're meant to be questions that we should ask. Those questions oftentimes reveal the heart, like, what are you seeking? That's a heart question. What what do you care about? What's in your heart? And it was written for our sake. Now, Jesus' great invitation here, come and see, still works today. It still applies today. He is inviting people, taste and see that the Lord is good, and I'm not talking get some theology i'm saying invite the lord into your life begin to bring your life into alignment with what is revealed in his word and see what happens i don't know what it will be for you i can only tell you my testimony but i can just tell you he's good and he's alive and he moves in people's lives and this thing that happened here with the disciples You know, the next paragraph's interesting too. He goes and gets Philip, and Philip goes and gets Nathaniel, and then all these people start following. It becomes a community of people giving witness and collecting other people up. That still happens today. You guys know some of my own story of how I came to faith through a high school youth group, but it's funny, kind of like the comic strip, Tom and Jerry, the cartoon, there was a Tom and a Jerry that were part of my story. My, My My high school soccer teammate, Tom, who's currently a pastor, was in this youth group, and he invited me to come with him to the youth group, and then Jerry was the youth pastor. So, Tom and Jerry led me to faith, Um, and it was this really interesting dynamic happening. Tom was a valedictorian of our high school. He's one of the smarter people I know in this life. He leads a church in the West Coast um, that's got like thousands of people. He was going to be a lawyer, he thought. And everybody told him he should be a lawyer because of his very incisive mind and tom was peppering jerry with all these really hard theological questions constantly and jerry was a deeply mature follower of jesus and had good answers too he was theologically trained he most of those questions i would guess all of them were not new to jerry they were not the first time he'd heard them so he knew how to answer some, and he knew which ones are unanswerable, and he was able to not be flustered at all, and he just simply kept talking about what, is, what Jesus is like, what's the gospel. And, and we've, we followed for, I, I was a high school senior, I followed with them for a year of this, and somewhere in there became a Christian. I can't tell you when that moment happened, but Tom's questions started to become my own questions, and then I heard the answers, and I started looking in the Bible to see if those were the answers, and they were and it made sense, and my heart was open, and I became a believer. That's actually what the alpha course is, by the way. It lays out the gospel. People get together and ask all kinds of questions about it, and the Lord tends to open hearts through that, that pattern. And so, you know, I want to I encourage you to think now, who in my life is ministering the gospel to me who is that person that's telling me good news it's pointing me to Jesus encouraging me and then who are the people in your life that don't yet know for whatever reason it's like their eyes have blinders over them they don't get it they're still thinking that religion is just like it's something you do to try to be a good person or um, it's been called the opioid of the masses something to placate the the uneasiness of people or whatever and they miss that it's a personal walk with the living God. I wonder who those people are. Now, here's the application for this today. And note, I have not gotten into theology. here. I've not told you much about what Jesus has done. I've not really, this is not really a cross-centered sermon, which already makes me a little uneasy because we preach Christ and him crucified. That is the content of our message. But John doesn't really get into it either. He's setting up something that will cause an ongoing dialogue throughout the 21 chapters of his gospel. So that you'll start to see gradually, huh, he turned water into wine and revealed his glory. And then the signs get more and more impressive until the last one where he raises Lazarus and then he dies on a cross and then he comes back to life. It's like gradually sharing. What does it mean that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? You're gonna to have to press in further to get more answers of that. But let me give you two applications of just this pattern of, as BE said at the beginning, of getting into the game. Not standing on the sidelines, being called into the game. One, take spiritual initiative. Like Andrew and the other disciple, they were seeking God. They were maybe dissatisfied with the things of life. It had just seemed dull. This is, as the alpha question goes, there has to be more to life than this. We're just going to be fishermen? Come on, there's got to be more. So they're following this guy, John the Baptist, because they were seeking. They were pursuing God. I want you to take initiative. Seek him personally personally. Don't be, don't settle. If your prayer life feels dull, press in further, do more, try different things, get around other people. Join in a community of faith, you know? It wasn't just Andrew, it was Andrew and John and James and then Simon and then Philip and Nathaniel and they had this whole group of people, we call that a small group, by the way, you know, it's a biblical concept, a group of people get together. If you've got teenagers, get them plugged into youth group. If you've got kids, put them in kids' church so they're around others that are asking similar questions and wrestling with the gospel. Sign up for Alpha. Bring someone with you to Alpha. Your faith will grow. If you're a Christian and you bring a non-believer to Alpha, watching that dialogue, it will ask you questions about, do I really believe this? Am I experiencing God's goodness? And you'll start to worship because you realize, God has opened my heart to receive the gospel and I don't deserve it. Pray for divine appointments. Ask the Lord to open up an opportunity to talk with people. A house came up for sale recently on our street. I started praying for it. I was praying, Lord, either let this be some friends, neighbors that would be friends and, and people we'd want to hang out with, or let this be somebody who doesn't yet know you so that we could share the gospel with them. I think the Lord answered both of those questions and the people that bought that house they've become friends and they're not yet baptized believers and i'm so grateful to have them living on our street and so i want to encourage you pray for divine appointments that the lord would bring people into your path that would give you the opportunity to give a testimony and share the gospel and help them find jesus my prayer for our church is that it would be full of mature believers who know how to share the gospel who pray for the kingdom to come, who recognize this truth that I'm saying, that God's mission to people advances through people, and that many of our people are the kind of channel for that ministry, that they're mature enough to be able to say, consider the gospel, let me pray for you. Let's study the Bible together. Instead of the pastors just doing it, the people do it. That's when the church becomes very powerful. That's my prayer. So I wanna pray for that now, and our mission of the week Or one of the missions I'm going to tell you about Alpha a little bit later, and we're going to pray more for Alpha too. But Lord, I thank you for the fact that your kingdom keeps advancing, and there are more Christians alive on the planet today than have existed in the history of the church. It is growing, like you said, a small mustard seed into a large tree. And I pray that you would continue to grow this church. I ask that you'd strengthen those those of us that know you, that you'd strengthen our walk with you, that we would experience more of your goodness, that our faith would get stronger. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring into each one of our lives people that need to hear the gospel. Let us experience the joy of getting to share the good news with somebody that doesn't yet know you. I ask this in your holy name. Amen.